really talking today about gifts, gifts of the Spirit, which is fantastic given all the stuff that we've been thinking about and all the stuff that we've heard this morning. Siku actually has done, he doesn't know this, but he's done half my preach already, so it's made my life very easy. Um, and I'm not kidding, you'll find out in a minute, and he'll find out too. Um, the thing about gifts, though, um, if you're a man particularly, I don't know if ladies do find this, but it, you get to an age, and it normally happens, um, is everyone, yeah, you want me to stay in front of this? Is this, is this not? Is this not? Is this not? All right, I'll just use that then. I'll do as I'm told. Probably better for me to stay still anyway. Um, yeah, so um, uh, there is an age uh, which I, particularly us blokes get to, uh, which is usually, I guess, around puberty times, where people start to buy you the same gifts, um, usually deodorant and socks. <laughs> Isn't that right? Who, get, who has received deodorant and socks for a present at some point? I'm expecting more than just one hand up. Come on, it's not just me. And it happens year after year, and you kind of go, really? Because that's a bit of a double-edged sword, isn't it, really? I mean, you kinda, you, you're supposed to be grateful, but really? What are you trying to say about my, um, my, you know, my general health and smelliness? Um, so, um, yeah, it, it's funny. It, uh, when we gave... Um, there was a story when Joel, my son, was probably around 11 or 12, something like that, and he was starting to get into this time where people were beginning to buy him deodorant and socks. Um, and he really, he was absolutely after, he'll probably tell me off again this wrong, but I think it was a PlayStation 4 he wanted at the time. Um, he'll probably tell me off for telling the story anyway. But um, he's used to his dad what, um, embarrassing him. But he had um, this, he was saying that he really wanted this, but he was making a point that he didn't like receiving socks. Uh, so when it came to actually giving him the present, my wife, because my wife did the wrapping on this particular occasion, I normally do the wrapping, incidentally, but my wife did on this occasion, and she bought the, the gift present, and she kind of wrapped it up in one of these boxes, which she uh, about this big. So he had to unwind everything. Sorry, I need to stick stick near here, don't I? He had, to unwind, he had to unwrap everything and unwind everything. And he opened this box, and inside was all this tissue paper, and in the middle was a pair of socks. <laughs> and he burst into tears. Bless him. So I said, Teresa, get him his real present. He says, so Teresa ran and got him uh, his real present. And, that, and then he was, yay, that's all great. Um, that was all Teresa's idea. She is, she is your children's pastor, by the way. <laughs> just saying. And I know she's watching on time. Sorry, love. Um, but, yeah. Um, so there was a... Joel occasionally reminds us of this from time to time. So, yes, so gifts of the Spirit. Now, the, there is a key thing here that um, is gifts of the Spirit and why. So, if you've been around for a little while, you'll probably have heard talks on gifts of the Spirit, but maybe not so much on why. But before I get to the why, I do need to, particularly if you are a relatively young Christian, I do need to talk a little bit about gifts of the Spirit. We've talked from the front, Siko has said it this morning, that we believe in gifts of the Spirit, and we've sung about it, haven't we? You know, Lord release, God releasing us and setting us free and all kinds of wonderful things that God does. So let's first of all have a look at what the gifts of the Spirit briefly are and then we want to talk about why are they there? Why has God given us the gifts of the Spirit? So um, the um, question I would have to is, maybe this is a... Um, he hasn't put it up that good. He's waiting. They gave him some firm instructions, jewels at the back. 
Um, for those of you who, who have heard of the gift of spirit or talk, how many gifts of the spirit do you think there are? Anyone want to shout? Nine. I had nine from a few directions. Wow. Anyone want any changes on nine? No? No? John has put up five. It's like the bidding's going down, isn't it? Well, I... Sorry? Fourteen. <laughs> Shall I let you out of your misery? I counted 31. Oh, 25 isn't such a laughable thing after all, is it? 31. Here they all are. Now, sorry, I just put it up to show you that there are lots. Um, if you can't read it, it's not supposed to. It's just supposed to tell you. If you can, great. There's loads there. Um, and... Um, um, I've tried to actually, I have actually tried to rationalise some of them because in some of the lists you get prophecy twice and stuff like that. Um, so 31 distinctive gifts. But you can generally categorise these gifts into four different areas. So Jules, the four different areas um, we've got is revelation, communication, power and serving. Now we believe that there's no reason for any of these gifts to stop because all of those things that God was things that God wants to do today. All right? Is there any reason? There's, is there any reason that God would want to stop healing people? No. I would hope you know that God is a loving Father and He wants to heal people. And there is a theology about cessation, which we won't get into. But essentially, some parts of some parts of the church don't believe in the gifts of Spirit, but we do, and we believe that they still manifest themselves today. Um, so I've listed them out. Um, so, um, and you'll find as you go through, there are, there are links between revelation and communication and power and serving. So, uh, revelation are things like gifts of wisdom, gifts of understanding, gifts of counsel, gifts of knowledge, um, discerning of spirits. Those all come under what we would consider to be um, uh, gifts of revelation. So, it's revelation in the sense that God has given you some special knowledge that you wouldn't have known unless he gave it to you, yeah? And then you've got gifts of communication. So you've got gifts such as teaching, exhortation, uh, tongues and interpretation of tongues, teaching. Um, I put prophecy in there, and as you'll hear as we get along, you'll sometimes maybe go, well, is that revelation or communication? And um, part of the thing that we're going to draw out in this is that there is a very clear link between revelation and communication. Uh, so prophecy, but in this particular case, I put prophecy under there because you are, rather than getting knowledge for yourself and to help and counsel others. This is, you get a prophetic word usually on the spot and it's kind of, um, you declare it. Um, in terms of power, which is what we normally think of as signs and wonders, you've got things like fortitude, which is strength, piety, which is devotion to God and the love of God, fear of the Lord, gifts of faith, gifts of healing and miracles, which are, of course, the ones that we're uh, very, very uh, familiar with uh, when we think of signs and wonders. But then there's also gifts of serving, so uh, giving, mercy, uh, helping people, administration. Sally, you're here. Are you? Yeah, she'll tell you that administration is a gift of spirit. As will Dawn, she'll be fully agreeing with that, um, uh, and does it so well as well. Leadership is also, of course, in the uh, kingdom of God. Leadership should be actually in the world anyway. Is a form of serving. Yeah. Jesus came to be the servant king. He said, leaders are supposed to wash their uh, disciples' feet. It's all about being there to help us provide 
guidance and direction, a bit like a father would hopefully to his children, providing a series to help them grow in um, what they're doing and help us all be on the same page. So that's briefly it. You'll notice that I've drawn it from a number of scriptures. Interestingly, Isaiah 11, most of you may not have associated Gifts of the Spirit with an Old Testament book. Isaiah 11 does have a list of, of gifts that God will manifest when he pours it out on his people, and it's a kind of a future prophecy. Um, I will highlight as well Ephesians 4. Um, now, Ephesians 4 gifts are a bit different. They are listed as gifts of the Spirit, um, and I, I think that's why John probably put his hand up in, in that, that is five, because they're known as the fivefold gifts, or fourfold, depending on your understanding of the Greek. Um, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherds, and teachers. They're different from perhaps the rest of the gifting, so we're not really going to talk about those particularly, other than to say they are generally placed upon individuals, and the Bible says it's those gifts are for the growth and strengthening of the church and the training of the church. So those gifts are there really to teach the church how to be church, yeah? To strengthen us, to give us guidance, and to train so evangelists are supposed to partly be here to train us in evangelism. Uh, prophets are here partly to train us and help us build us up in the uh, gift of prophecy. So we'll put those to one side because all the other gifts are really gifts um, that God gives us, if you like, for everyday life and are not necessarily associated with individuals. I don't want that language to sound exclusive, but um, it generally is something that is open for all of us, whereas the five-year-old gifts tend to be anointings on particular individuals. I'm also going to just briefly kind of say the 1 Peter 4 gifts. Uh, um, and I'm just going to read 1 Peter 4. So Jules will put it up. Um, and 1 Peter 4 says, Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Um, so most theologi theologians would generally agree that what uh, Peter is saying here is he's essentially saying, well, I've categorized these things into four. He's essentially saying you can categorize it into two. You either have speaking gifts or you have serving gifts. But speaking gifts broadly fit with the first two I said, which is communication and revelation, and serving uh, is more to do with uh, the power gifts and um, the serving gifts. Okay, does that make sense? All good? Some nods around? Okay, good. So, first of all, if you give it in a uh, font uh, which you can perhaps read better than the ones I put up before, revelation and communication, so these are kind of the speaking gifts. Um, and um, it's probably worth just pointing out that um, we kind of sometimes, some people have put certain emphases on these gifts, particularly things like tongues, where people, you'll hear people, or I've heard, certainly heard people say things like, um, any Christian who's born of spirit should be able to speak in tongues. Can I just say, don't ever say that, because God is not a divisive God, all right? I believe firmly in the gifts of tongues, but um, if you start saying that people who are saved should speak in tongues, all that does is it divides the church. Do you understand what I mean? Yes. That's not right. If you don't speak in tongues, so what? Yeah? 
there's, there's other gifts. You don't lay your hands on people to see anyone healed. So what? Obviously, we should desire those things. But, but you know, God doesn't give these gifts to divide the church. Okay. So let's let's just just stop uh, and doing away with those ideas. But you'll see that with all of these gifts. They are closely related with the revelation and communication. We talked about prophecy. You need some revelation. You need to be able to communicate it. But things like counselling, uh, understanding, wisdom, okay, some of that maybe God has given you an ability to see things that others can't in terms of wisdom, but it needs some communication, doesn't it? If you've got some wisdom, it helps to communicate it. It might help you, but it might be a gift of wisdom for somebody else. Okay, And quite often, of course, as these are gifts... Uh, these are there to help each other because we're a family. Yeah? Words of knowledge, words of wisdom clearly need to be communicated. So there's these, these very clear uh, links between the two. Again, if you look at power and serving, uh, there's, some, there's, there's a close link between those as well. We, we think of... I'm going to get into Jesus in a moment. Um, you'll be glad to hear. But often when we think of signs and wonders, we think of some kind of flashbang, a miracle. Do you think that Jesus did that for show? Or do you think he did that because his heart was, uh, went out to the people that he was healing? You know? He, by, by coming along and healing a leper, he didn't do it to go, hey, I've healed a leper, isn't that good? He's not a magician. Jesus is not a magician. Jesus' heart is first and foremost to love and to heal and to release. Yes? So when these gifts of power, as much as we desire to see them, and that's great, and we should desire to see them in the church, they are primarily to serve the people who need to be released. And through that, people will come to a belief in Jesus or, you know, uh, or it will help unlock some things in life that they go, whoa. We'll get into more of that, about how that, that turns people's hearts towards God. So those are the... Is, is everyone on board so far? All right? Okay. Yeah, I oh, don't see too many frowns around. That's all good. Right, so what we'll do is we'll take the, the speaking ones first of all, revelation, communication. And what I want to do is I want to see how Jesus did it. That's a good idea generally, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we have this... Um, um, I think there, there we, some people have this theology about Jesus, and I've said this a number of times, and I'll keep saying it because it's really important, that... Jesus somehow went around and did all this stuff, and, but he, he was God, wasn't he? Jesus is God, so he can do all this stuff. There's, there's a very clear theology around God and his role when he walked the planet as Jesus. Okay? The Bible says he was 100% God and he was 100% man. A Christian, the mathematician, will tell you you can't be 100% one thing and 100% something else. You can't get a piece of clothing which is 100% cotton and 100% polyester. That doesn't make any sense. But somehow, in Jesus, he was 100% God and he was 100% man. That's critical to understand because when he came and walked amongst us, he decided to deliberately put aside his deity. And that's a really important you understand that. He was still God, but he existed in his time on this earth as a man. All God, but he decided to, to walk as man. And the reason that's important is because when it comes to our salvation, we need to have the uh, sacrifice of a perfect man on the cross. Sacrifice of God doesn't really do it. It's the sacrifice of a man who has been able to live perfectly. And the Bible says that he was tempted in every way, but he managed to persevere 
and get through it. So Jesus did walk as a man. So when you hear people say, yeah, well, Jesus knew about that because he's God, isn't he? I would say that actually Jesus chose never to live in that kind of sense of, of Godness. He always chose to walk as a man. So he could get to the end and say, it is finished because he was able to live a perfect life as a man. And that becomes the perfect sacrifice for us on the cross. Okay? So what we've got then, you say, well, Jesus was doing all these things. What we have is Jesus as a man who is perfectly in connection because he's sinless with his Father and perfectly connected with the Spirit. We know that the Spirit of God came upon him at his baptism. Um, And therefore, what he is demonstrating is what it means for us as people to exercise the gifts of the Spirit. Okay? Does that make sense? Yes? Jesus said to his disciples, you will go and do greater things than this. You will see greater things than this. And he put the emphasis on, this is just, I'm doing stuff because I'm exercising the gifts of the Spirit. You go do likewise and you'll see some amazing things and they'll be even more amazing than the stuff you've seen me do. So, let's start with revelation and communication. I want to go to John 4, first of all. I'm going to pick... So I'm going to pick uh, some scripture here from Jesus and uh, one, uh, one example of where you see the kind of revelation communication gifts in action with Jesus and his heart behind it. And then I'm going to go to another woman in scripture to talk about the power and, and the serving gifts. So John 4, verse 4 says, He had to go through Samaria on the way. Uh, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew? I'm a Samaritan woman? Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking for, you'd be asking me and I would be giving you living water. But say, you don't have a rope, you don't have a bucket. He said, the well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor, Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never thirst again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, so the word said, give me this water, then I won't have to be thirsty again. I won't have to keep coming here to get water. Jesus said, go and get your husband. Okay, so here's the revelation piece here. Go and get your husband. I don't have a husband woman's replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man that you live with now. You certainly spoke the truth. You weren't lying. So the woman said, you must be a prophet. Now, just pause there. I learned on Wednesday from Ali, it's great having Ali in my connect group, that um, that Samaritans did not believe in prophets. Okay? Their, um, Their scripture did not include the prophetic books. It only included the books of Moses. So this is a Samaritan woman. Something's happening now that Jesus has said this. And she's suddenly making a connection which she wouldn't naturally have made. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. 
Then Jesus said, I am the Messiah. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. So we have a woman who is brought up in a Samaritan existence. She is a Samaritan woman where the Jews consider them to be essentially worthless. They don't like them. The reason they don't like them is because historically the Samaritans, okay, northern kingdom, they, the, the Israel was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was put into exile to, with Assyria. And the way Assyria did their exiles was they took the people from the lands that they overtook, they scattered them throughout the other places that they had um, conquered, and they brought other people in. So what happens is that all of the, the ten tribes of Israel, so the tribes that weren't Judah and, and weren't Simeon, um, were all essentially lost to history. But some of the Jews were allowed to stay because they scattered most of them. Some of them were allowed to stay. But then other uh, foreigners came in, and because there were so few of them, they interbred and all this kind of stuff. So what happened is, A, there was an issue about whether they were truly Jews or not, and secondly, there was an issue that they had decided that because they had built this, or um, name's gone at the moment, doesn't matter, but because an a, uh, alternative Jerusalem had been built for them, um, that they essentially were the real Jews. And the other Jews, ironically, they considered not to be real and not have the revelation. So here you've got this dynamic where Jesus is going through a region and a country where essentially they try and avoid and the expectation from this woman is that she sh would not be talked to by a Jew, and certainly not a Jewish man. Um, and so they then have this conversation, which um, is, is all this backwards and forwards, you heard it, about, um, about this idea, this odd idea, of somebody being able to give you water that allows you to live forever. And then in the middle of this, Jesus then drops in this word of knowledge. And he does it very well because he asks her the question, are you, you, know, are you married? Uh, no, you're right, you haven't lied, you've got five wives. And then suddenly the conversation changes, doesn't it? All of a sudden you can start to see the, the things ticking and unlocking this perception that there, is, uh, you know, there are prophets. It's, I, I didn't think we were supposed to believe in prophets. And then eventually she comes to the point where she realizes that there could be something in this man that's special. So she brings up the Messiah. Jesus confirms that's who he is. And the next thing we see is her rushing into the village. And the village will rush out, and you'll read in the next verses and chapters that, that they stay there a while, and the whole village came to Christ. This was probably, well, this is recorded as the first time that Jesus actually outwardly was evangelistic, if you like. The first time that he kind of said, I'm the Messiah. And then there was this evangelism. And it happened in a Samaritan village, which is uh, one of the things that Jesus loves to do, culturally, back to front. Um, uh, but it, the whole village gets saved. But it comes through a word of knowledge and changing, and what that does is that, that revelation changes the, uh, the, the communication between the two. Now, Jesus say that he, uh, he, with he showing off that he knew that she was, Married? Of course not. What he was doing was to unlock a conversation, to unlock thinking, to unlock the heart to possibilities that actually things that she didn't dare perhaps 
to even dream of. And now Jesus is unlocking those things in her heart. And now she's going, this could be reality. Perhaps the Saviour has come. Perhaps now we've actually got somebody who gives us hope for the future. And at that moment, something happens which gives her a salvation moment. She rushes into a town, and there's the next thing we know is the whole of the town gets saved. That was as a result of the gifts of communication and, and of revelation. Jesus' heart was uh, really, for her, was to show that God not only exists, but he cares for you. Do I have to stay here? Sorry. Um, Um, that God cares for you he loves you, he actually likes you I know I know. Um, sometimes we go, yeah God loves you you yeah well that's his job but he likes you but he's your father and he wants to do stuff for you to, to care for you, to walk with you that's his whole purpose is to draw you into a relationship with him and so often in our lives we kind of whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, we can find ourselves getting all, you know, masks go up, barriers go up, and we, we kind of almost get, I don't know, insular. And the, the, the gifts of the words of knowledge and, and uh, sorry, the gifts of communication, revelation, are there to show you and me and people who don't know God that there is a God that loves us. That's what Jesus was doing. That's the heart of God, and that's why we have those spiritual gifts. Okay? I want to read from you, read for you 1 Peter 5, verse 7. And this is from the Amplified Version. John Bradshaw will be very happy because he loves this version. Um, but I'm reading from this particularly because you'll find that it's, it expands things. Because in the Greek, when you translate to English, you lose some of the uh, nuances, and the Amplified Version is written to try and help you with that. So I think it's really helpful here. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all. What did Siku talk about earlier? About people having anxieties and fears. Cast all your concerns on him because he cares for you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. Okay? That's what God wants you to know and that's why he gives us these, these wisdom and, rev- and revelation and gifts of communication so that he can go, I'm here and I'm for you. Okay? Right. Nods everywhere. I like nods everywhere. Let's move on to, where are we? Okay, let's move on to power and uh, service. So, um, one of my favorite passages in scripture. Um, again, this is about another woman. But it starts off a story with that man named Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, who came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. Now, the leader of the synagogue, very important person you had in the synagogues, you had the priests, chief priests, who were kind of the religious like, focus, and then the leader of the synagogue was uh, the man who kind of kept everything together. Essentially, they're the administrators, if you like, and as we all know, Sally's the most important person in this church. So... Um, don't choke. Um, so, um, I, I, Christian's probably nodding inside, aren't you? Yes, good boy. Um, his only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. And Jesus went with him, and he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years, see, she could have done my preach for me, who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. When it says that she could find no cure, um, it says that... Um, 
So, so in what, this appears in three Gospels, and where in the other Gospels it said that she went to doctors, there is, in the Greek, there is an emphasis that she had spent of everything she had, not just money, but the Greek implies that she had emptied herself. You know, she was on her last legs. Uh, she had nothing else that she could give. So, um, coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus said. And everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, and I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Shalom, go in peace. The whole crowd heard her uh, explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Now, so let's put a bit of context in this. This woman, 12-year bleed. If you don't understand, the bleed means that you are unclean. Now, uncleanliness means that you ha if you touch anyone um, or if you have the bleed yourself, you're supposed to go and get cleansed. So women with their uh, monthly periods would have to go off their periods and get cleansed. Uh, they would separate themselves off for that time from the, the family as much as they could so that they weren't made unclean and they had to go through this process. Um, but for somebody who had a long-term bleed and unclean cleanliness like this, they were avoided. Yes? So people did not want to become infected, if you like, by this unclean person and have to go to the rituals. So people would cross the road. This woman would have had to... In fact, most people who are unclean would have been put outside the, the gates uh, to, to kind of live on their own because nobody wanted them within the houses. So people would cross the road if they knew she was unclean. She probably had to buy stuff from people who didn't know she was unclean and hope they never found out. If they did, she'd have to find somebody else. You know, it was, this was a hard life. You think of some people who, I don't know, maybe you have a falling out and they blank you on the street or they cross the road. Um, it's not really very nice, is it? I mean, be honest, okay. Some of you might go, well, that's their problem, and you're right, it is their problem. Um, but um, it's not great, is it? This woman had this for 12 years. 12 years to the extent that she was so scared of being amongst a crowd that the only way she heard of this person, Jesus, the only way she felt she could get there was to get in, hope that she wasn't noticed, and go and, if she could only touch his garment. So this is the place that she's at. She's desperate to be healed, but she doesn't want anyone to know that she's there. So she, so she goes in under the radar as far as she could, touches the garment, and Jesus stops. Now Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house, big uh, big kind of thing that needs to be done at Jairus' house. Everyone's going, oh, you're going to Jairus' house. Jesus stops. And Jesus says, who touched me? Peter goes, you're on your way to Jairus' house. Look at all the people. That's a silly question, Jesus. And he says, no. Because Jesus, God always responds to faith. God always responds to faith. And this woman has come up and touched her and, God, and Jesus says, right, I've, the Spirit has done something here. And I want to know what's happened. And this woman realizing that now all her worries are about to, as far as she's concerned, come to pass, she kind of crawls up and, uh, and says, I'm, I'm going to have to admit to this. Her expectation is rejection from the crowds and certainly rejection from a rabbi. Why would you make a rabbi unclean? What does Jesus do? 
he puts the centre stage and he says, my daughter, your faith has healed you. Wow. A woman who is subject to uh, all this uh, a, a mental and abuse and humiliation for 12 years, Jesus puts her centre stage and instead of slapping her down, congratulates her on the strength of her faith because her faith has healed her. And she says it in the hearing of all the people who would reject her, who are desperately wanting to hear Jesus. Just imagine that. That's the Jesus I serve. Somebody who turns people's lives around and makes value for people. That is power and servanthood. This woman has just had her feet washed by Jesus, metaphorically. She's, you know, this is a position where she was expecting to be rejected. This is like Peter going, I should be washing your feet, Christ. Jesus loves to serve people. And the power and the service to this woman came out and his heart went to her and she was released. Luke 4, 18 16, Jesus quoting 60, Luke, uh, Isaiah 61. You all know this passage well. I wanted to, take, to quote Jesus here, though, rather than Isaiah 61. Uh, I put some dots in here uh, because I couldn't fit it all in one slide, but I'll say it all. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favour has come. That's power, but that's also servanthood. The servant king who is coming to serve people, to set them free, that's all God wants. He wants people to be set free. He wants the poor to be released. He wants captives, um, poor to be released from their poverty, captives to be released, blind to see. He wants people who are disadvantaged to realise that they're important to God. Because they are. And that's why we have power gifts and serving gifts. That's why the speaking and the serving is so important. And most of what Jesus did, and nearly everything he did, could fall under speaking or serving communication, revelation, power, and serving. That's the heart. But the one place where we see probably all of these things come together is the cross. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, and I deliberately included this, God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Jesus comes and his spirit comes and serves us not for judgment but that he knows that it's for our salvation but it's for our salvation that we know that he is a God that loves us. He is a God that pours his life out for us. He is a God who values us so much that he wants to set us free. And on the cross we have the, the culmination of revelation of who he is and what his heart is for humanity we have the revelation and through the communication of everything that says now it's the most powerful the cross is the most powerful communication device that that god has employed we have the power of the cross that we talk about but that is the ultimate servant heart the, the king who came to die on a cross and release people not by swords and weapons, but by, by coming to a place, what does Paul say, to, um, 
to, to submits himself to death even on a cross. That's a heart that Jesus has. And that's what the spiritual gifts are there to do. That's why we have them. It's to help, to reinforce us, to help us understand the love of God, but also to show the world that God loves them, God is for them, and God wants to be there to change their lives and to walk with them and to carry them through their difficult times. Amen? Can I have the man back up, please? That'd be awesome. So, I'm just going to pray. Um, and I want to pray. We talked there about the cross. And I want to pray, before we go back into worship, I want to pray for um, people who, if you've heard, while I've been speaking, if you've heard something which has really ignited something in your heart, I'm going to pray for you at the front. Um, I'm not going to ask anyone to respond at this time, but what I would do is I would ask you to please uh, respond. If you're any of these, if I, anything that I say now, please make yourself known to the stewards afterwards. You don't have to. Either make yourself known to the stewards or talk to somebody next to you. But if any of these things are valid for you, that you don't know God, Jesus, and what you've heard today, you want to know more about that Jesus. That God, that Father, that Spirit who wants to walk with you to release you from the challenges of life. There'll still be challenges, but he can walk there with you, can carry you through them, and you can enjoy his love and his mercy. If you want to know that, I want to pray for you. Um, and if you have known God in the past, but you've come away from God again, you know, if this is, you feel it's like God the groom wooing his bride back, wooing you back into the, the family, please, um, uh, you know, God never lets go. We let go of God sometimes, yet God never lets go. So I want to pray for you. And if, if this means anything to you today, then please let yourself know either by talking to a friend or by going and finding a steward afterwards.